$167,000. I'll shuttle for one dance with Domino. Can you play any other tune? Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. May I cut in? It's a charming tune. Hello and welcome to the 36th episode of Bond Music 6 of the Best. This is our ongoing series discussing the Bond movie soundtracks and all the little musical albums, cassettes, and CDs that we can find that relate to James Bond music. And this time around, we head to La Belle, France, for the distinctive sounds of Frank Porcel at Son Grand Orchestra and their interpretation of James Bond's greatest hits, a compilation I've seen referred to as, quote, the worst Bond music cover album, end quote. So this will be an interesting discussion to see if it deserves that reputation. I am Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. I am joined, as always, by my best friend in life is Mr. Alan J. Porter. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thank you, Jared. It's been a few weeks. I think it's been more than our regular six-week gap this time for various scheduling reasons. So it's good to be back talking Bond music. Absolutely. I've been looking forward or to Or is this me. Bond music? <laughs> you know, you told me you were like, hey, this is like regarded as the worst Bond <laughs> cover album of all time. So I was like, whoo, that is saying a lot. Uh, so anyway, we ended up finding it out there on the YouTube. And you can find it and listen to it out there. But anyways... Let's talk about the six of the best and how the format works. If we must, you would think after 36 episodes, people might have this, but I'm sure there's always somebody who this is the first time. And if there is, welcome on board. That's right. If you're a first time listener, welcome. Each episode, we flip back and forth about who has the lead. This time, Alan had the lead. So he picked the album and then he picked his three favorite tracks from the album. And then I picked my three favorite tracks from what he left behind. Sometimes we include bonus tracks. Sometimes we do what we want. You never know. <laughs> but that's basically how it works. Well, thank you, Jared. I'm looking forward to this one. So let's, let's just actually pick up on what you just said, that I sort of texted you and said, we have to listen to this one because I've seen it called the worst Bond album <laughs> in the world. So really, that's how I found out about this album. So I just saw somebody mention it. It's like, oh, I've got to go find that one. And we've got to do it on six of the best. So really... Just a, a mention on Twitter, I think it was. I didn't catch who it was, so my apologies. I thought it would be interesting to, to dig this one out and see if it really does deserve the reputation that it seems to have among certain Bond aficionados. So when did you first hear of it, or was it just me reaching out to you and saying, we've got to do this album? Oh, it was absolutely you reaching out to me, saying, hey, I've heard this is the worst one ever. Let's go for it. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm in. I'm in. We did Bond beat and bass. You know, and no one liked that one but me. <laughs> so, so it's a pretty low bar. So. <laughs> I was like, hey, whatever. I'm obviously like the kindest to any of the <laughs> music people who have ever been on this show to include our guests. But I guess we'll find out. How did you find out? Alan, you just, you just saw it on Twitter. So I'm on I, Twitter. Just, I just said this throwaway comment from somebody that, oh, at least it wasn't the Frank Purcell album, which is the worst in my opinion, is the worst Bond music uh, album ever. And you were like, oh, man. I'm like, oh, i got to go find that one. So, All right. So who is Frank Purcell? Let's talk a bit more about this. 
the man behind this album with such a reputation, and we'll see where it goes from there. So Frank Purcell was born in 1913, passed away in the year 2000. He was a French composer, arranger, and conductor of popular and classical music. Born in Marseille, Purcell started to learn the violin at the age of six, which is child prodigy, I guess. It's pretty cool. And then he studied violin at the Conservatoire in Marseille and the Conservatoire in Paris, apparently, as well. Um, he also played the drums. Uh, he was a big fan of jazz music. By 1931, he was working as a violinist in several theatres in Marseille. Don't know what he did during the Second World War period. Couldn't find anything about that. But anyway, so after the war, decade or so after the war, he emigrated to the United States in 1952, but stayed all of one year before returning back to France to record Blue Tango and its follow-up, Limelight. I guess those are singles, music. I don't know. I'd, I didn't actually dig in and find that out. I should have done if anybody knows what Blue Tango and Limelight are, then good on you. Um, Sounds so. like a good cop show. Like, it does, doesn't it? Limelight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 54, Purcell recorded his first album on the Pathé Marconi record label, and he would record a total of nine albums for them over the next three years, which is pretty prolific. This blew me away. Uh, in 56, he recorded his version of the Platters hit, Only You, as Frank Purcell's French Fiddles. And it sold over 3 million copies by 1959 and actually peaked at number nine in the Billboard charts after a 16-week run. You can find it on YouTube. I put the link in the script, so I guess we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to go look for it. It was actually quite a familiar version of Only You, instrumental version. So I was like, oh, I actually know that song. I had no idea of the connection. For our European friends, this will probably mean more than for our American audience, but between 56 and 72, he was the conductor for the French entries into the Eurovision Song Contest, which is actually quite a long run, 56 to 72. And during that time, four of the songs that he conducted actually won the competition, won first place for France. So depending on your views of Eurovision, that's actually a really career high or a career low, depending on what you think about Eurovision, I guess. <laughs> but, but that's pretty impressive. And then he co-composed Petula Clark's pop hit, The Chariot, which is actually sung entirely in French but was later used as the main theme for the Whoopi Goldberg movie Sister Act. And I believe there's actually also an English language American cover of that song as well. But the Julia Clark one is really, really cool. And then this one is close to my heart. In 75, Purcell was commissioned by the French government to actually write a theme for the Concord Supersonic Airliner, which I worked on early in my career. Not the theme, the airliner I worked on. I didn't actually write the music. I, I worked on the play. But uh, again, that was a, a little connection I had no idea about. So uh, again, we'll put the links for each of these in the, uh, in the show notes. He said, knowing that actually Jared's the guy who puts the show notes together and I actually don't have to do anything. So. There's an 87% chance Dan's going to forget to put the links in the show notes. <laughs> so whether we put this in the show notes or not depends on if Jared feels like it. So Purcell started recording popular and classical music albums in 1958 and continued all the way through to 1995 having recorded 250 albums and over 3,000 songs. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, he passed away in the year 2000 at the age of 87. So he had a, a good and very productive run. And again, quite surprised when I actually did the research that stuff he'd done that I had no idea was actually him. The name didn't register when we first started looking for this album, but actually been exposed to quite a bit of his music over the years. Having said that, I couldn't really find out any information about the background to this specific album, other than I assume it fits in that 
1958 to 1995 run of albums of popular music. There seems to have been three releases of the James Bond Greatest Hits album uh, in 73, 74, and 1975. As far as I could find, they each have different covers. So if you go and looking for it on the internet, there are actually three versions. The 1973 release is on the Spanish Orlada label and has a blue cover with a bullet hole design. And each bullet hole includes close-ups of Gloria Hendry as Rosie Carver in her bikini from Live and Let Die. And some of them are very close close-ups. Mm. Um, <laughs> I see. Very 1970s cover. Let's just put it that way. The 74 release is on the British EMI label. And the cover is more the familiar gun barrel with uh, Roger Moore, standard Roger Moore publicity photo uh, at the center of the gun barrel. And it's sort of an all red. It's like the whole gun barrel is red. And then in 75, they did a re-release and it's the same EMI pressing, but the cover has less red and more of the steel gun barrel. So that's how you can tell the difference between 74 and the 75 releases, the amount of blood that you have in the gun barrel. I did some quick research, see how it rated, see if it rated as bad as that one line review that I saw on Twitter. And apparently not. Actually, it gets, on average, a 3.6 out of 5 score on the review sites that I could find. And if you want to pick up a copy after listening to some of these tracks, you can pick up the 75 version pretty easily on eBay for between $8 and $20. I didn't find any copies of the 73 or 74 release on eBay, so I'm guessing they're not. They are a bit rarer. And then after I finished the research, I love this one, and I found this one out, a late footnote. His version of Diamonds Are Forever is sampled on Education by Dr. Dre, Final Hour by Big Sean in 2010, and Red Snow by G. Herbo, who I have no idea who that is, in 2017. So his version of Diamonds Are Forever has actually been sampled by three separate rappers. So <laughs> I saw your notes on that, and I went to YouTube, and I listened to each one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, I was unfamiliar with the Red Snow, but I'd, I'd heard the uh, Dr. Dre and Big Sean's before. And I was like, how did I never notice Diamonds Forever was in there? <laughs> yeah. But they're not like huge hits. They're like, education is like a, it's like a little one minute, like intro track. It's not right. like a full track, but yeah, it's, it was interesting. Oh, cool. So there's more things that you can forget to put in the show notes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> notice how I'm piling all the work on Jared. <laughs> Man, very one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your thoughts on the album overall, Jared? Well, going into it with that whole stigma that you were like, hey, someone said this is the worst fuck around all time. I was like, okay, let's go. And no, no, it, it's not the worst. I don't even know what I would consider the worst because they're all so different. And, and so it has a different sound. The thing that leapt out to me the most is it, it sounded like, I mean, he's recording this one in the 70s, right? Early yeah. 70s. And I think at the time, this is the time of late 60s, to early 70s, where the... Clint Eastwood Western is becoming very popular. The Italian spaghetti Western genre is, and I feel like there's a lot of influence of that in here. Like there's a lot of harmonica and almost Western-y sounds creep in here and there. That's really what I thought was different and unique about it. But overall, I'll, I really enjoyed it. I heavily reward the ones, I, I think we mentioned this in our previous episode, that do a unique take. You know, don't just cover it. You know, if you're just going to cover it and make it sound the same, then I'm going to want to listen to the original. At least this has a different sound to it. You know, Count Basie brought a different sound to it. Like it or not, Bomb Beat and Bass brought a different sound to it. So it's got that going for it. And overall, Alan, I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed this. I thought it was fun. Actually, I think you just caught the right word there, fun. I had fun with this album, and I think they had fun bringing their own versions to it. 
sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes it did. But kudos to them for swinging to the fence for the fences. I think on some of this and bringing their own interpretation to it. So we asked at the beginning, you know, does it deserve its reputation as the worst Bond cover album? Personally, and I think Jerry's the same. No, I, it's not even close. It's not a masterpiece, but I, I, I found it to be a fun listener. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Absolutely agree. I've got some Bond albums that I've bought, you know, that I'm certain we're going to cover at some point that are just fairly, they're fairly mundane, which is why I haven't brought them on <laughs> yet. And I would probably say those, again, I reward creativity. If it's just sort of a mundane cover, then okay. But this brought a unique flavor. Yeah. So talking of which, let's, let's dig in, shall we, to my first three picks. So I'm actually going to lead off with track one. Oh, yeah. There's actually only 10 tracks on this album, too. So there isn't actually that much to choose from. So <laughs> We are going to cover 60% of this album. <laughs> <laughs> Math, I'm impressed. Woo, off the top of my head. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to pick the first track, which is Live and Let Die. And obviously, it, when we were talking about the album covers and stuff, this was released a year of Live and Let Die. The first release was the album cover was all around Live and Let Die. So the fact that this is the first track sort of makes sense. For me, the fact it's one of my top Bond songs, you know, it's one of the two that alternate between being my favorite Bond track. So I had to play it first. So what's a better way to give us a taste of what's to come than to start off with Live and Let Die. And for this one, let's play it first, and then I'd like to talk about Thank you. 
I'm literally in two minds about this. To me, it sounds like two completely separate tracks in my headphones. On one headphone, I have the, the schoolboy on the plonky piano trying to play like they've just learned live and that die on the piano and they're just plonk, 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 plonk. They're hitting the notes, but not necessarily getting the melody or the tune, if that makes sense. And then on the other side, in my other headphones, I have the lush violins, the tubular bells, the harmonica, and it's like the two never actually sort of meet in the middle for me. It's like, <laughs> if I listen to my left ear, it's like schoolboy attempt. And if I listen to my right ear, it's like, oh, this is actually a pretty good orchestration. And then it's all brought together by that <laughs> strange, scratchy, weak vocal, somebody actually trying to belt out live and let die when they just don't have the power in the voice. And it's interesting that they actually put a vocal on it. It's not the, the full lyric. It's just the live and let die bit because they don't do that with any of the other tracks. So this is a strange one for me. I'm not quite sure where it lands. So what about sure you? That was my brother, Jason, on the track. By the way. <laughs> no, Jason sings better than that. <laughs> Yeah, what about you, Jared? I, I'm not sure where this one lands for me. It is an oddball of sounds, and what a great way to be introduced, like you said, to the whole album. It's a weird mixture. Somehow it worked. It made me smile when I heard it, especially when that dude built it. Live and let die. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this is what this is what we're in for. And I found it to be interesting and intriguing. I liked the track a lot. I might have picked it as one of my three had you not, just because it is such an interesting mix of sound so yeah it's it's hard to describe but in the end i enjoyed the odd take yeah i say said i didn't really know where this one lands with me but i will say i had a smile on my face all the time i'm listening to it it's almost <laughs> the opposite of the term that uh, i think i introduced you to called wallpaper music that sounds really good i should use that occasionally it's definitely not because you want to listen to it you're like what <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, it might is, be a morbid curiosity, but you want to listen to it. Yeah, this is definitely it. Where are they going with this? <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. It does make you sit up and pay attention, which is a great way to open any album, I guess, is to, you know. Certainly. So, yeah. Okay, so look, what did we pick out of the uh, remaining nine? So I actually jumped all the way to track number three for my second one, which was Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang which again, I thought was an interesting choice for an album that was supposedly the greatest hits because it's not a track that most audiences are familiar with. I mean, it's not the main theme of Thunderball. You know, those of us who are sort of Bond fans know it and know it underscores, you know, it was meant to be the main theme, but then was replaced. Um, so it's, it's woven throughout the soundtrack. But in terms of putting together a greatest hits album, it's not one I would have immediately put on the list. Again, this is another interesting one. For me, this reminded me of a sand dance. There's a maracas in it, and it's, I don't know, it gave it that little sand dance Middle Eastern sort of vibe to it. And it also sort of made me think ahead of its time, I was listening to it, and I thought this could have been used for a theme from any sort of generic adventure cop show from like the late 70s, Susan and mid 80s, when it's sort of there's a big band sound kicks in. It just has that, I don't know, cop show vibe to me. So again, just an interesting take that made, that made me really listen to it. Like you said, it's not one that was mundane. It's like, oh, well, why don't you? I just go listen to the original theme because it's so close or it was so far off as to be annoying. It was just like, I actually really want to listen to this and see what they're doing with it. So let's give it a listen and then we'll get Jared's thoughts.
So, Jared, do you think that would have made a good theme for Blue Tango and Limelight, the, the, the new cop show we just created? <laughs> of course. Of course it is. Uh, again, it's got a whole new vibe to it. It's clearly recognizable, but with a whole new vibe, it's so interesting that it makes you want to listen. So as we've been listening, I've been thinking more like Frank Purcell. The analogy I want to make is I don't know if you ever saw like that early comedy stand-ups by Robin Williams. They were very random and very high energy and not in the same mold as a typical <laughs> stand-up. But you watch because you're like constantly going, where is he going with this? What it's, it's This is the musical equivalent of that. It may be for some and not for others, but it demands your attention because it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you, you so really again, have to, I, I enjoy this track quite a bit. Yeah, you really have to sort of focus on the tracks, I think. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so my third and final pick, again, to those who listen to the show on a regular basis will know that anything that includes a version of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I have contractually, I have to have it as one of my picks, unless Jared picks it first, as he has done on occasions. But we won't go there. So you haven't forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> so sticking with my favorite themes, we're going to jump to the last track on the album, and it is, in fact, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And again, let's play it, and then we'll talk about it.
So the opening few notes of this before it really starts to get into the recognisable majesty scene, I don't know why, but, and this may be, again, a very British thing, but it reminded me of the Pearl and Dean ad breaks we used to get when we went to the cinema in the 70s, which is probably not, you probably don't know even know what I'm talking about, do you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so when they used to do ad breaks in the cinema in the UK, they were basically put together by a company called, an ad company called Pearl and Dean. Before the ads, they actually had their own little theme tune that would come on and you would know, oh, we're going to get a series of ads before the movie. And Pearl and Dean had their own da-da-da-da-da-da type intro. Oh, okay, okay. And the first few notes of this, it's like, oh, that just sounded like a Pearl and Dean ad to me. Um, and maybe because I saw Majesties back in the cinema back then when they actually did them, I sort of associated the two. But anyway, that's what it sounded like to me. So uh, I mean, I believe you. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Sure, you don't really. You just think I'm making it all up. <laughs> no, I'm with you on this one. I'm going to catch you flat. So there was that, and then the the strings behind the guitar break were a bit off. But what I really enjoyed was the drums. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Because that drummer was clearly having a ball. It was actually nothing to do with this. I mean, he wasn't hitting any of the notes or beats that John Barry laid out in his arrangement. I'm sure, but he was clearly just having an absolute ball in the background there. And I love the drumming of that. So I think, actually, to me, this is a reflection of, of the whole album. It was just fun. They were clearly having a good time recording this classic theme. And it was a great, bouncy, fun version of Majesties, which uh, I was not expecting. Wholeheartedly agree. Definitely, I'm listening to it you know, in stereo with my nice headphones on, and all I could focus on is that drummer just having a day on a track that does not demand a lot of, a lot of drumming. You know, it's a smooth track. But he's just, he's just going. And it made me wonder now that you mentioned before that Frank himself came up on violin and drums. I was like, I wonder if that's Frank on drums. Like, he's just having a blast. I hadn't even thought of that, but I hadn't made the connection. But yeah, maybe it is. And it's like, well, if he's the boss, we're not going to tell him he can't do that. (laughs) Maybe. Like, it's his album. (laughs) But no, you know, I I have never in my life up to this point, Alan, this is uh, August 28th to 2023 we're recording this. I've never heard of a version of Majesties that I don't like. Uh, that tune just, as soon as it hits, bum, 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 I'm, I'm, in, I'm in. I'm in all the way in, no matter. I've never heard a bad version. <laughs> so this one was no exception. You're right. I don't think I've ever. There's a couple of them that have started out. I'm like, where are they going with this? And then they always. Yeah, in, we covered know? that one a couple episodes ago. I can't really believe the album was out of Canada. And it kind of had a 70s cartoon theme vibe to it. Yeah. But it was still cool. <laughs> I know the one you mean, yes. Yeah. I can't remember if the name you're of the listening and you know the one we mean, let us know in the comments because we can't remember. <laughs> we can't remember, but I, re- I remember us talking about the, the 70s uh, cartoon vibe and wanting to see a cartoon version of uh, Majesty's uh, done Johnny, Johnny Quest style. I remember us yes, talking about that. I think that's the one where I took your track, by the way. Yeah, just, yeah probably, yeah. Just to address that head on. <laughs> Well, I, I won't hold a grudge. And in fact, I'll be so generous to, I'll, I'll actually shut up now and pass the baton over to Jared to pick his three from the, the remaining seven. See, I can do math too. Well done. All right, guys, let's get into my three picks. And my first is going to be track five. You only live twice. I especially like the intro crescendo that builds because the typical version has cascading notes, like falling. And in this, Frank 
in his arrangement, he builds the notes to let them fall and builds the notes to let them fall. If you think about that, you listen, you'll you'll pick up what I'm putting down. Really cool balance. And once again, some very smooth drum work. Let's give it a listen. What do you think, Alan? Thank you. I was trying to figure out what was different about this, again, that made it stand out. And you're right. It's that rising note instead of the, the fall off of the John Barry arrangement. And it works well. I think it sort of adds to the – because normally it's, it's a fairly smooth, laid-back one, and this actually gives it some tension, I think, that would probably work within the movie. Probably that's heresy saying somebody else's arrangement would work in the movie as opposed to a John Barry one. I'm not comparing it to John Barry, by the way. Don't, don't flame me. Again, it's an interesting take. Um, and again, I love the, the I, I sounded like it was a big kettle drum or something this time in the background. Works uh, really well. 
This is another one that was reminding me of some sort of TV show, and I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was, but there's something about when, it, <laughs> when, it, when that note falls off and you get that slight metallic sound. Yeah. Just that little bit reminded me of some TV show, and I can, I can sort of half see the opening titles in my mind, something with glass and chrome tall buildings and stuff, which I know is probably 90% of the action <laughs> shows from the 70s and 80s, um, which, so it doesn't really help. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's bringing that visual to my mind, but I can't place which show it is it that reminds me of. But, um, yeah, an interesting – I can't say I enjoyed this as much as some of the other tracks, but I thought it was a very interesting approach to an interpretation of this one. Fair enough. You know, the main notes – we admit on every episode, we don't, for guys who do a Bond music podcast, we don't know a lot about music. Is that a harpsichord that he was playing? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Or a, or a synthesizer. Or something. It had a metallic tank. It had that metallic tank. It almost had the sound of whatever that instrument is uh, they use in um, From Russia With Love. It almost had that sort of Turkish area yeah. of the world, Middle Eastern sound. I, anyway. We don't know instruments. We so don't know. Again, we don't comment know that, yeah. and let us know what the hell. <laughs> we don't know what the hell we're talking about. I mean, we've been doing this for five years. You think we would have learned something along the way? But this we is how we. Uh, <laughs> this is how we bolster audience participation. You got to tell us these things. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can embarrass ourselves on my second pick, and that is track six. It is the James Bond theme. It's much like Alan and Honor Magic Secret Service. I try to follow the law, and the law is there's a Bond theme. I like to feature it. This one definitely had a Roger Moore vibe to it. It definitely, when I sit and just listen to this Bond theme, the Bond I see in my head is Roger Moore. In fact, if you told me that this was actually on the Spy Who Loved Me soundtrack, I would believe you. <laughs> so not quite the heresy of saying it's John Barry, but more of a Marvin Hamler sound, I guess. But hey, you tell me, let's give it a listen.
What do you think? Do you hear the Hamlish in there? Maybe a dash of Bill Conti, like if Hamlish and Conti had a baby this word. <laughs> I don't know. What I was going to say Bond 77, four years before Bond 77, but again with that <laughs> Oriental Eastern touch to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're on the edge of the birth of disco. It's sort of got a little of that vibe, mm-hmm. but not quite there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good word to describe all of these tracks. They are all <laughs> all demand your attention in one way or another. That is and, very true. They do demand your attention, yes. And I'm going to demand it just one more time for my third and final pick, and it's actually my favorite track on the whole album, so I'm glad Alan left it for me. You know, much like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I don't think I've ever heard a version of the 007 theme that I didn't like, and it is track eight. On this one, it's just called 007, but it is... John Barry's 007 theme, as done by Frank Purcell. I love this exciting horn-based intro that eases smoothly into a very relaxed version of the 007 theme. This is definitely a nice drive through the country type of music for me. This is, you could see James Bond. Once again, I kind of see Roger Moore in this one. It's kind of chilling, maybe driving his boat through the Everglades. So not being chased, just relaxing, driving his boat and uh, having himself a good time before all the excitement starts. Let's give it a listen.
James Bond at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Alan? If there was any track where I thought, where the hell are they going? When I first, it first started, it was this one. Because it was like, <laughs> 007 theme, got certain things in your mind that you're expecting. And it, it takes a while to get there. For me, it doesn't really kick in until the strings kick in. And so until the strings kicked in, I'm like, this isn't the 007 thing. Where are they going with it? I mean, it, again, it grabbed your attention with that, you know, the horns and the, the strident opening. But then when the strings kick in and it sort of just, I don't know, comes down a notch. And as you said, it's a very relaxed, almost nightclub mm-hmm. vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say it was my favorite track on the album. I think that has to be Majesties, of course. Yeah, it's really good. But uh, I, I think this is probably a, a close second, yeah. Once I got over that, okay, I know where they're going with it. I, <laughs> this, this is one of this and Majesties and a couple of the There's probably about four or five of the tracks that I actually went back and like, oh, I want to give that another listen. I want to give that another listen. Uh, and this was definitely one of the ones that I wanted to keep giving a repeat listen. And not because I was trying to figure out what it was. I repeat listen because I actually liked it. I did this, that with the whole album. All right. So now we've done our... Three picks each. What we normally do at this point is actually rate the album on a one to seven scale based on how much this album should be in a Bond fan's audio library. So, Jared, what would you score this one from one to seven? Uh. <laughs> well, let's see. I should have thought of that before we've recorded the episode. <laughs> I had no idea. Let's see. I, I personally liked it to the tune of a five. I give it a five out of seven for how inventive and like I said, different, I reward creativity. But if you want my more sterile, how much does this need to be in your library as a Bond fan? More of a novelty than anything. I might go as low as a three. I don't think you have to have it. It doesn't offer you anything that you need. But if you like a newer and, and you reward creativity and newer sounds like I do, then bump it to a five. So that's my cheater score. What do you got, Alan? <laughs> So basically, you've got no idea, and you're just picking numbers at random. Yeah, I'll give it a 46 (laughs) out of uh, W. Yeah, okay. On the premise that we started this, and the reason I picked this, I totally expected we'd be talking about ones and twos. Right, no. no. And it's not. It's not. Yeah, I I think I would give it a four. Right between that three to five. Five, right between the three and the five. Look at us doing math again. I was surprised at how much I really actually enjoyed it, and... So just the clear sense of fun and inventiveness that comes through. As I said, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you wonder what the hell they're doing, and then it sort of, you sort of figure it out. And yeah, I think just for that sense of fun, I think it's, it's worth a listen. It's definitely worth a listen. I wouldn't just dismiss it because maybe two or three people on the internet said it was horrible, which you shouldn't ever believe two or three people on the internet anyway, but it made for a fun reason to actually go look, look it up. It, um, it is not the worst Bond cover album out there. That is still, I think, Bond beaten bass, but that's. Oh, I've got, I've got some more that will be. <laughs> but that was probably a, that was probably a challenge I should not have just thrown out to Jared. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But no, this is not the worst Bond album out there. I think it's it's a good fun one to add to your collection. So yeah, I'd give it a four out of seven. I think that's fair. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Bond Music, Six of the Best. If you've got a question or a comment, you can email us at ohmspod at outlook.com or comment on Twitter at ohmspod. And I believe we've actually got a comment to read out. W6N, 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 calling G7W. How do you hear me? Over. 
We do. It is from a longtime listener and maybe our only listener. I'm not sure. <laughs> it is our old friend Bruce Kanan, I think is how it's pronounced. Cannon? We'll get it one day, Bruce. And uh, Bruce was partway through listening to our Tomorrow Never Dies episode, and he wrote in. He said, almost finished a delayed listen, re this one, which was Tomorrow Never Dies. Just listen to the final of the six with that Asian feel. And I remember what he was talking about. I think it was your pick, Alan. And it was Michelle Yeoh uh, fight scene, if I remember correctly. Anyways, and he said, I perhaps loved that one the most. Another great podcast, but have to mention something which you may or may not mention in the remaining part I haven't gotten to yet. In some of the tracks, you can hear portions of Katie Lang's Surrender, which, as you know, was the original theme to Tomorrow Never Dies. That song ranks, for me, up there with the greatest of 007 film themes, including the ones from the Connery years. I don't know why Eon chose to go with Sheryl Crow's theme, which, though fine, was not Bondian like Lang's. If you did mention Lang's theme, mea culpa, and thank you guys. <laughs> so, thanks for writing that in. I responded to him uh, on Twitter, where we got that message, and I let him know that on that particular episode, the Tomorrow Never Dies bonus tracks. We really focus on the bonus tracks. I think we covered the whole Katie Lang, Cheryl Crow thing when we did Tomorrow Never Dies like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think we did when we did the original soundtrack, yes. Yeah, yeah. so it, yeah. if you guys want to hear that, you got to go way back, scroll, 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 scroll to, <laughs> to where we hit the original soundtracks, and and there you can hear us discuss that. But I, I completely agree, and I think we both agreed on that, Alan, that the, the Katie Lang surrender is... I believe it's a superior track. It is, yes. Yeah, very and much so. He asked the, the age-old question, why? And I think we talked about this, I feel like we did on that recording, or maybe when we talked about it on a Rogue Agents. I'm not sure, but no, I don't really know why, but I think Sheryl Crow was just very hot at the time. This uh, was like the peak of Sheryl Crow. One word, marketing. Marketing, yeah. It is a marketable name. Everybody knew who she was. She just had that big hit album. Yeah. And there you have it. Yeah. I think we also covered it when we did the alternative bond uh track thing on um right where we kind of mixed rogue agents yeah. rogue agents and six yeah, yeah. Six that was a fun episode yeah it was yeah but no we really appreciate you sending that in bruce and as i mentioned to bruce as well surrender is actually my second favorite of the tomorrow never dies themes my first one <laughs> very very little known theme. i think it's called letter to paris and it is from the tomorrow never dies video game soundtrack and they ended up not using it uh -huh. So that's like a deep, deep, deep cut. But seriously, Letter to Paris, uh, which it was arranged by Tommy Tellerico. And I, oh, I, the lady who sings it, her name just slipped my mind. It's well worth listening to. Another another great tune, which put Sheryl Crow in third place. Although I want to go on record to say, I like the Sheryl Crow song. I like it. I just like the other two better. Yeah. I definitely prefer Surrender. And, and he's right. It's so woven. Yeah. Oh, like, clearly. Na, 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 I, yes, na, na, I mean, it was intended to be the theme and then was just... Chopped yeah. to the last minute. It's not the first and probably won't be the last time, unfortunately, that it happens. But, true, uh, true, uh, true. Though the uh, composers these days tend to have slightly more uh, say. Okay. Um, so thank you, Bruce. It was great to, to hear from you. Uh, always good to hear from you. You always have such great feedback, too, and mm -hmm. ask some good questions that promote some interesting conversations. So, so thank you. If you would like to join Bruce in sending comments, please feel free to do so, as we said, through email or comment on Twitter. And again, thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast. If this is your first time, please subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast platform. And if you could leave a rating or a review too, that would be great.
And if you'd like to chat with us personally on social media, where can you be found, Jared? I am at Yard Sale Artist, be it the X or the Facebook or the YouTubes or the Instagram. It's the one I forgot. <laughs> anyway, it's all at Yard Sale Artist, or you can check out my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Alan? You can find me on Twitter for specifically Bond stuff at Bond Lexicon, but otherwise just generally around the social media platforms, I am at Alan J. Porter, or you can go to my website, alanjporter.com, where there is a links page to literally everywhere you can find me on the interwebs. Awesome stuff. All right. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This episode's tracks are from the 1973 album, Frank Purcell and his orchestra, James Bond's Greatest Hits. We'd like to remind everyone to please legally purchase your Bond music via official download channels or CD or vinyl. Please support the Bond creative community. All right. We are going to be back with six of the best. We are going to return with what is my next pick. Which was a mystery. I have once again sent Alan a package. Uh, yeah, this is very official for the podcast, <laughs> folks, but I am sat here with yet another mystery parcel. You may open the mystery parcel and this find This has been sat, sat here for, what, two months now? Yeah, I sent it a while ago. <laughs> Does it actually have a date on it? Oh, wow. May you sent me this. May. All right. So he's been holding on to this for a while. Like I said, we, we had some scheduling things. We had to bump this recording back a bit, but... When we come back... Oh, and there's another envelope inside the first envelope. <laughs> I did the multiple envelope thing now. And, again. and there's a third envelope. <laughs> I did it on purpose. <laughs> he mentioned last time how many envelopes it was in. And we eventually get to a CD, The World Is Not Enough, limited edition. Ooh. All right. So, so we're much, doing the additional music thing again. Yes, much like we did with Tomorrow Never Dies that, that Bruce was just commenting on. We're going to revisit the world of The World Is Not Enough. Our good friends at La La Land Records have once again put out a two-disc version with a bunch of extra music on it. And Alan and I will be back to talk about all the bonus tracks that you will find on La La Land's latest release, The World Is Not Enough. So we're just sticking with the bonus. The, it looks like there's 10 additional tracks. I believe that is the fact. Yep, additional music. It's tracks 8 through 18. And it has 43 minutes of additional music. So we Excellent. will find Excellent. six tracks in there and let you guys know what we found. I am looking forward to giving this a listen. Thank you, Joe. At some point, La La Land Records is going to sponsor this show. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will catch everybody next time. Bye. Bye, guys. And Alan just accidentally closed the script. Okay. <laughs> I just want to see how that vocal in there. <laughs> I I knew when I pressed play where we were going to go. I was like, he's, waiting. <laughs> he's waiting for that strong vocal. Blue Tango and Limelight, they're cops. <laughs> uh, that's going to be it now. <laughs> <laughs>